Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of forgiveness, and today's program is a continuation of the previous programs. In the previous program, I was talking about 1 John 1.9 and 1 John 2.1. I was comparing the two and showing that there is no way that you can live in both simultaneously, that you truly have to choose one or the other. And in general, what people do is they choose 1 John 1.9 over 1 John 2.1. 1 John 1.9 says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins, which would mean that you can deal with your own sins on your own behalf in order to obtain forgiveness. And 1 John 2.1 says that you have an advocate with the Father if you sin, which means that somebody else will deal with your sins on your behalf in order to obtain forgiveness. Now, of course, with reference to 1 John 2.1, that means that the Lord Jesus will respond to any accusation that is levied against you, and his response will be, it is finished, it was taken care of, it's no longer a concern, it's no longer an issue. But with regards to 1 John 1.9, if we assume that you can deal with your own sin on your own behalf before God, then that means that you do not need the Lord Jesus to deal with your sin on your behalf before God. This, of course, is not true, and that's the problem, is that there's no way to live in both. And I was explaining in the previous program that the only solution to this issue is to acknowledge that 1 John 1.9 has nothing to do with the believer, but it has to do with an unbeliever. That it is the answer to an issue that is raised in 1 John 1.8, one verse above. It is the answer, it is the response to someone who says that they have no sin. They are deceived, they are deceiving themselves, and the truth is not in them. And that if this individual will come to their senses and acknowledge that they have sin, then they can be the recipients of the forgiveness that God is offering if they will acknowledge that they have no hope of obtaining forgiveness outside of his grace and mercy. But instead, people want to think that they can obtain forgiveness by apology. And again, I was also explaining in previous programs that this reduces the seriousness of sin because it suggests that the wages of sin is not death, it is confession. Now, I mentioned in an earlier program that some people truly believe that the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is that the Old Covenant required you to set your pets on fire in order to obtain forgiveness. In that context, it was actually just atonement. Forgiveness was promised in the future, which was finally received when the Lord Jesus died on the cross. But that the New Covenant is that because Jesus died on the cross, he's provided you with a simpler sacrificial system, an easier one. It's not so difficult like it was under the Old Covenant. Now you can just apologize, and you can do that between you and the Lord. You don't even need to go to a temple or to a priest or to get any assistance whatsoever. That that's the New Covenant. And I totally reject that. I totally reject that belief. However, there are many people who really do believe that. And I wanted to mention that so that you can discern between the two different perspectives. Mind that the Lord Jesus died for all sins and others who don't really believe that. 
Now, when I present what I've just described to Christian leaders or to people who would assume that they are relatively mature in their faith, when I present these things to them, this is what happens. What happens is that people start to defer to pure fantasy. That's what happens. People start making things up. That's the best way I can describe it. If I'm going to be very direct about this and save time, I'm just going to tell you that as far as I'm concerned, people then start to live out their fantasy by making things up. Things like, well, there is a difference between judicial forgiveness and parental forgiveness or experiential forgiveness. There is a difference between being practically forgiven. This is pure fantasy. This is not in the Bible. It is not there. Or people start coming up with things like, well, if my children commit a sin, then I don't feel like I really have good fellowship with them until they come to me and acknowledge that they confess their sins, they repent from their sins, they apologize, they ask for forgiveness. Then we can have fellowship with one another. Well, that again is pure fantasy. That may be a description of your inadequacy with your children. Let me say it again. That may be a description of your inadequacy with your children, but that is not the way that God relates to us. You are not the example. You are not the model. You are not the illustration of how God relates to his people. Our God loves his people. He accepts his people. He forgives them because of what he did not because of what they do. And his fellowship with them is because they are his children. Fellowship has to do with two people in the same ship. You're either in the ship saved or you're out of the ship lost. People are making up these obscure esoteric beliefs in order to support a belief that is not in the scriptures compounding the errors one on top of the other, compounding the lies one on top of the other, isn't going to eventually result in the truth. You've got to deal with the truth right away. Stick with it and continue to discover what that means in terms of our relationship with our God in light of that. So this is the challenge. This is what the real issue turns out to be, is that people start coming up with all these things, coming up with all these different explanations that are not only not in the Bible, but they are in total contradiction with things that are absolutely clear in the Bible. And I have found when people get to that point where they're just living out their fantasy, that the discussion is over. That's what I mean. The discussion is over. At that point, people just simply make their decisions about what they're going to believe and they live with it. And they can do that. They have the freedom and the liberty to do that. But when you are confronted, when others are confronted with what I am saying, you have a new opportunity to make some decisions. And I'm telling you that there is another way. There is another way to look at the scriptures. And that is on the basis that the forgiveness of sins was complete. It was total. People come up with all kinds of other things, not just esoteric fantasies, but they come up with all kinds of other excuses why they would want to do this. One of the most common excuses for the common person, not necessarily the leader or the pastor, to justify their continual act of forgiveness, one of the common excuses is to say, well, it makes me feel good. It what? It makes you feel good? What do you mean it makes you feel good? Well, I can understand that to a certain extent. 
I mean, if I really thought about it, if I could get right with God because I apologize with him, I suppose I can boast in that. I suppose I can be proud because of that. I can exercise some pride to say, look what I have done. Yes, I sinned. I understand that. But I, I, this morning, just right after breakfast, I decided to eat first. I discovered that I could get right with God, that he was waiting there out in his heavens out of fellowship with me, and I took the opportunity to invite him to come back and have fellowship with me. I allowed him to do that because I confessed my sins and asked for forgiveness. That is total insanity, but that is what people really believe. Now, I understand when I put it that way, people would agree with me that it's total insanity. But when I don't put it that way, then people still try to hang on to that. I mean, people really believe that they have control over God. And if they do, this certainly would be quite appealing. It would feel pretty good, wouldn't it? I mean, it would feel good to have control over he who holds all things together by the very power of his word. He who holds all things together, the entire universe, the true and living God, he who dwells in unapproachable light, you get to decide when he is going to forgive you and when he isn't. Because if you don't confess, then he's not going to do it. You get to decide when he can have fellowship with you and when he can't. Because if you don't confess your sins, he can't. He won't do it. You are the one who is in power now, aren't you? That should feel good. That should feel incredibly good. But it is so wrong. It is so deceptive. That is such a total, absolute lie. I don't understand how anybody could really live that way, but people do it because it makes them feel good. And I suppose, you know, the way I should really look at it is that that really is the true depth of the character of that individual. That what they really care about is feeling good. Above and beyond the truth. They don't care about the truth. They don't care about reality. They want to live in their fantasy and feel good. And that's what's important to them. That, to me, is a very good description of the depth of the character of people who say things like, that makes me feel good. Now, there's other ways of looking at this. That makes you feel good. It does? Think about that for a minute. You're going to reject the forgiveness that you already have. The Lord Jesus died for your sins. He reconciled the world to himself, no longer counting our sins against us. The new covenant went into effect because he remembers our sins no more. But you want to deny that. You want to reject that. Why do you want to reject that? Because it makes you feel good. It makes you feel better to do something in order to get right with God. But this is what God is going to hear from that. He's going to hear that you don't believe him, that you don't trust him, that you do not believe the truth. And the reason why you don't want to believe the truth is because it makes you feel good. Now, I don't mean it makes you feel good because you know you don't believe the truth, although I do believe there's enough evidence to show you that this is the truth, but that you would rather be deceived or you would rather deceive yourself in such a way that you want to ask him to do what he has already done. But how do you suppose this makes him feel? How do you suppose... This would make the living God feel for you to reject what he did for you. How do you suppose it makes him feel? So you may feel good, but it's at the expense of making your God feel bad because you won't believe him, because you won't trust him. So take this opportunity to feel real good because I suspect the day will come when he will confront you over this 
and ask you about this. Why is it that you decided not to really believe that you already were forgiven? Why, why was that? Because it makes you feel good, doesn't it? If that's the kind of conversation that you want to have with the Lord when you see him, then maybe you shouldn't listen to the rest of the series that I'm presenting, because that's the context. The context is very simple. People start believing things that are total fantasy and are not in the Bible because their feelings, their ability to make themselves feel good is more important to them. Now, having said all of that, let me go back to why would it be that a Christian leader would teach people these kinds of things? Well, there's two different possibilities. There's two categories. The first category would be a Christian leader who knows the truth but is deliberately lying to you. And you might be surprised that I would say such a thing, but this is the truth. And make no mistake about it, this is definitely the truth. There are a lot of Christian leaders who believe the truth and they won't tell you. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. Instead, I'd first like to talk about those people who do not know the truth and they're telling you what they do believe, which is definitely not the truth. Why would they bother doing that? What would be their advantage? Well, the number one advantage to being a Christian leader or a pastor or a minister or a priest who presents this to his congregation, the number one advantage is that he makes his congregation dependent on him. He makes the congregation dependent on him instead of on the Lord Jesus. The reason why this happens is very subtle, but it does happen. It happens because people need assistance to be reminded of the sins that they need to confess. They need assistance concerning that. And they also need, quite often, a place or a time when they can pause in the midst of their busy life and search for the forgiveness that they believe they need to now obtain. And so the role of the pastor or the priest is to provide you with their guidance, with their condemnation, with their assistance, and with the facilities, and with the atmosphere, and with the procedure in order to accomplish this. So there's a dependent relationship that gets formed between the leadership and the people, between the priest and the people. There's a dependent relationship that gets formed in order to provide you with the means or the mechanisms or the opportunities to properly search for forgiveness from God. And so for those who don't know the truth, this can be very appealing because it gives them a job. That's what it is. It gives them a job. It gives them a position. It gives them a responsibility in your life. And they, of course, can be paid for this. I'm sure you pay them for this, don't you? You pay them to do this to you so that they can provide you with a dependent relationship that is outside of the dependent relationship that you should have with Christ Jesus. And what they teach you takes you away even more from the love of God and from the acceptance of God because you're going to be continually reminded, told, informed. You're going to be continually reminded of the fact that your God does not like you. He doesn't accept you. He might for a few minutes, you know, after you first confess and ask for forgiveness properly with the proper assistance in the proper location at the proper time of day, which is generally Sunday mornings. If you do that, then you can obtain some acceptance and some love from him for a little while, but just until the next time that you sin. But don't worry. Once you do that, all you need to do is do something like keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with God. You know, you can do this on your own every morning, every couple hours. 
just pray to the Lord and say something like, you know, Lord, I'm not sure what sins I've recently committed, but just in case, just in case, I want you to know that I really am sorry for those things and I'm going to ask you to forgive me, especially because I might die before I have a chance to ask for forgiveness. And if I do that, I might not go to heaven. That kind of insanity is stuff that people start fantasizing about, start coming up with in order to justify, in order to support these obscure beliefs that are not in the Bible. They're, they're nowhere to be found anywhere. It is total and absolute insanity. So there's a dependent relationship that gets established and people thrive on this. So let me go back to the first category of people I was referring to, and that is the pastors and the priests, the ministers, the leaders who know the truth but won't tell you. All right. Now, this tells you something about their true character. This definitely tells you something about what's really important to them. What is important to them? Something besides the truth is important to them. What is it? It's their job security. That's what it is. Without exception, I've never seen an exception to this. The reason why they don't tell their people the truth is because they know that if they tell the people the truth, the people will probably not accept it. You see, it's not the leadership's problem in this context. It's the people's problem. It's because the people in the congregation believe this stuff. You can go and get the pastor corrected all you want. You know what they're going to do? They're going to throw him out and get somebody else who's going to teach them what they want to hear. Or they're going to leave. They're going to go to another church where they can hear what they want to hear, which is this kind of stuff that makes them feel good. All right? That's what it comes down to. There are a lot of pastors who are hiding in their offices right now, who are hiding in their homes, who know deep down inside that they are lying to their people, and it's just eating at them. One of you might be listening to me right now, and I know it's eating at you. It's just killing you. Let me talk to you directly for just a moment. Let me tell you something, brother. I understand that you may lose your job, and you may lose your pension, and you may lose your future, And you might have to go out there and maybe find a job that's outside of the ministry or something, if you can even find one. I understand that the cost for you is substantially high, that your wife might leave you and take your kids with her and take you to court for child support that you're never going to be able to pay, and then your passport will be frozen so you can't even leave the country to start a new life somewhere else. I understand that there is great risk involved, but brother, you have got to do something. You have got to do something to get out of this situation because it's going to destroy you. It's going to destroy who your God wants to make you to be. He wants you to be free. He wants to set you free. He wants to grow you. He wants you to know who he is and he wants you to live and work the works that he has prepared for you to do. But you can't do it when you're living a lie and you're teaching other people to live a lie. If you know the truth, then live the truth. And to use the expression, let the chips fall where they may. Let me tell you something about myself. There is no way that I want to go before my God knowing that I deliberately lied to people. And while people may disagree with me and think that I'm not telling the truth, at least I've got the conviction that I will tell people what I really believe without concern for the consequences. I'm going to still tell people what I believe and no one is going to stop me from doing it. And I just can't imagine how you can live with yourself, how you can live with anybody for that matter, how you can truly live knowing that you're deliberately lying to people. So don't do that anymore. Let it go. If it's going to cost you, it costs you. It costs the Lord Jesus his life. 
the least you can do is stand up for the truth that he died for. Okay, back to the subject at hand. The subject at hand is that people are coming up with all kinds of strange beliefs, all kinds of strange, bizarre ideas that are simply not in the scriptures. And so that's why I refer to these things as absolute, complete fantasies, because they are not real. They are not in the scriptures. These creative illustrations or these examples that people come up with in order to support their belief that God still holds their sins against them and that they need to apologize and ask for forgiveness to get it, all of that is just total absolute fantasy. Now, of course, there are some beliefs that are scripturally based that I still believe are wrong. For example, there's a very popular teacher who really believes that we are to confess our sins in order to be right with God. And there's a verse that he enjoys quoting in order to make this point. This is James chapter 5, verse 16, where it says, Therefore, confess your sins. But he deliberately deceives you. He deliberately lies by not reading the rest of the verse. The rest of the verse says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. He doesn't say confess your sins to God. He says, confess your sins to one another. And there is a place for that. There certainly is. Reading the whole passage, beginning in James chapter 5, verse 13, it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. It says that there is someone who is sick, someone who is suffering. He is to go to the elders and let them know that he has committed sins. They will be forgiven if he will confess his sins to others, those who he has violated. Now, this can be looked at in a number of different ways. You can look at it from the point of view that this guy is sick in the sense that he is sinning against others, and this is evidence that he is empty inside, that he is sick inside, that there is something wrong with him concerning his belief in Christ Jesus or his relationship with the living God, that there's something wrong with him because he is sinning, sinning against someone who is there. And so if he will confess his sins to the one who he is sinning against, then certainly the Lord will honor that. That's true. But the healing that takes place is a healing that takes place in an individual's heart as they are able to reconcile with their brother, with one who they have offended, not their God. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, 
Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,